2: to another episode of Lunchtime Movie Review, the podcast where we look back at some of our childhood favorites and see if they stand the test of time. I'm Chris. I'm Chad. I'm Patrick. Hello, I'm Shane. And for today's big Christmas episode, we are reviewing arguably the most controversial Christmas film ever made. So bad that Siskel and Ebert give it two severed thumbs down. But before we begin... A word from our sponsor
3: do your axe blades become dull after decapitating teenage boys who trespass on your private property does your blade chip after it slices into the naughty nymphomaniacs who fornicate on your pool table well we have the solution for you give st nick's axe sharpening stone a try st nick's axe sharpening stone is the ideal companion for your favorite axe this puck shaped stone is lightweight and an easy way to sharpen your axe while on the run during your next Christmas Eve massacre. Find your Saint Nick's axe sharpening stone today at the North Pole Sleigh Shop or any Axe and Mall store near you. Merry Christmas from Saint Nick's
0: <laughs> Ho ho ho.
2: That'll make your Christmas a silent night and a deadly night. <laughs> All right, uh, before we begin this crap fest, which could have easily been on the number two review, uh, let me do a summary. There's lots of spoilers, so you don't have to watch this one. Or maybe you do, I don't know. I'll leave that to you. (laughs) Billy Chapman is five years old in 1971 when his family visits his grandfather in a nursing home. Only Little Boys brings Gramps out of his catonic state anymore, and when he and Billy are finally alone, we get a rise from Gramps. He warns Billy about jolly old men with beards, giving presents to only the good while punishing any that were naughty. The family leaves Gramps, and as they drive home, a thief dressed as Santa robs a liquor store and kills its clerk. His car breaks down, or not, I don't know why the hell he was there, Billy's unsuspected dad pulls over to help. Santa then shoots Billy's dad dead and then slits his mother's throat while Billy watches from the bushes. And his infant little brother, Ricky, cries in the car. Three years pass and an eternity in terms of watching this movie. And Billy and Ricky celebrate Christmas at Mother Superior's No Fun Zone Orphanage. She finds pleasure in child abuse when they misbehave and considers their punishment a good thing. The kindly sister Margaret encourages Billy to engage with the other children, but Mother Superior is always there to punish him for any slip-up. When on Christmas morning a man dressed as Santa visits, Billy freaks out and punches him, and Mother Superior is not pleased. Flash forward ten more years to the dystopian year of 1984, and our little boy is all grows up. Billy leaves the orphanage and sister Margaret lands him as a job as a stucker at a toy store. Billy develops a boner for his coworker, Pamela and titters the between the thoughts of banging her wildly and thoughts of his mother's red slits neck. Christmas comes around yet again. And after the store, Santa gets injured Billy's boss, Mr. Sims, makes Billy take his place. Big mistake. During the store's Christmas Eve party, because everybody has a Christmas Eve party as soon as you kick out all these customers on Christmas Eve, Billy tries to enjoy himself, but dressing as Santa brings up suppressed memories and carnal thoughts. When he witnesses his co-worker Andy attempt to rape Pamela in the back stock, Billy snaps. He strangles Andy with a string of Christmas lights and hangs him by the chimney without care. He then whips out a utility knife and slices Pamela open while declaring Mother Superior-style punishment as good. Mr. Sims is beyond white girl wasted at this point, and he goes to the backstock anyway to check on the weird noises he just heard. Or maybe he thought he heard them. As he turns to leave the room... He becomes even more hammered when Billy hits him over the head with one. Mr. Sims blacks out forever. When Billy turns off the store's lights, his manager, Miss Randall, goes to the backstock as well. She screams a girly scream from a thousand horror movies and runs to the phone for help. Billy whacks off the phone line with an axe before she can call the cops, forcing her to run and hide. Billy then stalks her throughout the store in a game of cat and mouse. When she manages to trip Billy and run out the front door, Billy shoots her dead with a bow and arrow. Well, pretty much just the arrow part. Miss Randall gets a quick death from Santa for this year's Christmas present. Fearing the worst, Miss Margaret makes it to the crime scene, and upon seeing the carnage, she heads off to the police station for help. Meanwhile, at a nearby house, A cool kid named Tommy tries to place his eight ball in Denise's side pocket on a pool table. Denise's sister interrupts the love fest, and then Denise's feral pussy cat meows at her to come inside. By this time, Billy shows up and breaks through the door to Denise's house. He stalks Denise and then picks her up and impales her with his mighty, mighty deer antlers. Tommy, sensing a cock block, exits the basement to find Denise dead and Santa under the mistletoe. After a quickie fight, Billy tosses Tommy through a window where he falls to his death. This commotion piques little Cindy's interest, and when she sees Billy, she gets excited that Santa has arrived. So Billy asks her if she's been naughty or nice this year. When she says nice, Billy gives her that bloody utility knife he killed Pamela with. Next, we see some stereotypical 80s bullies picking on two boys out sledding, they take the sleds for a ride after shooing the boys away. Billy shows up and whips out his mighty axe. In one firm swing, he cuts one of the bullies' heads off clean, while the other one screams a girly scream from a 1001 horror movies. The next morning, Christmas morning, mind you, Captain Richards finds Sister Margaret sleeping in his police station. The two race off to the orphanage knowing that Billy's final stop will be an attempt to kill Mother Superior. Richards's Deputy Barnes is already there, and he shoots dead Father O'Brien, who's also dressed as Santa. Billy soon arrives and kills Deputy Barnes in the shed with an axe. Billy then heads to the main orphanage building, and one of the children there lets him in, because he thinks it's the Santa they've been waiting for. He spots the now wheelchair-bound Mother Superior with the children surrounding her. Billy takes his big axe and inches closer To one last heavenly murder, Captain Richard shows up with Margaret, with Sister Margaret in tow, and shoots Billy in the back, but he's not quite dead. As the children gather around, a dying Santa Claus, Billy looks at them and says, you're safe now, Santa is gone. Billy's brother Ricky is there, and he looks at Mother Superior and coldly says, naughty. Merry Christmas, everyone. Sure. Sure
0: that that was much more description than this movie needs
2: well like i said (laughs) i did spoilers so people didn't have to watch this movie
3: (laughs) shame on you chris they should see this to see how bad it is
2: and just how bad is it patrick you got any stats on this yeah this this uh, little gem
1: it was uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night was released on November 9th, 1984, the same day as A Nightmare on Elm Street, which seems to be about a week and a half too late for that film. Oh, God, You Devil and No Small Affair. The same month as The Killing Fields, Just the Way You Are, Night of the Comet, Missing in Action and Chris's favorite film of all time, Supergirl. Gross. <laughs>
2: I can't get enough. It is just super.
1: Right. tool. Right to- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, gross over uh, $2.4 million at the box office was the 134th highest grossing film of 1984, right behind Impulse, The Bear, and Under the Volcano, and right in front of Choose Me, Stranger Than Paradise, and A Sunday in the Country. As Chris has already mentioned, was called <laughs> out on by uh, Siskel and Niebert on their show at the time, uh, stating that the creators had nothing to be proud of, and read the names of the companies that owned the distributor TriStar Pictures so that people could protest against them. Uh, It it created uh, actual multiple protests, as Chris stated, was removed from the theaters after a couple weeks. However, it was followed by four sequels uh, and a very loose, and I really mean loose remake in 2012, uh, Shane's favorite stat, Rotten Tomatoes, 27% critics and 39% audience. So that's Silent Night, Deadly Night.
2: That's pretty generous uh, percentage from the audience, uh,
0: <clears throat> and the critics. Twenty nine percent. That's that just tells you yet again how useless Rotten Tomatoes is.
3: <laughs> maybe they had some Christmas spirit when they reviewed maybe. this. Yeah, yeah, maybe.
1: Maybe they put it on the sliding scale of Christmas films that you everybody it gets like the bell curve is. It <laughs> gets
2: shifted up.
0: Don't defend. Rotten tomatoes. <laughs>
2: in, in terms of Christmas films, I can't even imagine it being much worse. I'm sure somebody's tried.
3: Oh, yeah, there's Silent Night Deadly Night 2. It's much, much worse. Where <laughs>
2: they repurposed a lot of footage from this one.
3: Yeah, approximately 90% of it, yes.
1: And, and then Silent Night Deadly Night 5 The Toy Maker with Mickey <laughs> Root. Ru- Who publicly spoke out against Silent Night, Deadly Night 1.
2: How do we get a franchise out of a movie this crappy? I mean, I understand people love slasher films and I guess maybe this one could be a cult status in a weird way, but I don't get how you can do five. I mean, of course they're all crappy, but how do you get a franchise out of it?
1: Well, the, the, the controversy of it being pulled is what led it to becoming a cult film Uh, you know about a year later and that was what led to you know at least sequels two and three four and five i believe were just direct to video i don't think they got theatrical releases and have nothing to do with one two or three it's just you know something something horrific happening on christmas and they throw in the title silent night deadly night
2: it and that's how uh what the hell is his name mickey rooney kind of got attached to the one silent night movie right they changed well, the name
1: yeah the speculation was that it was called the toy maker throughout production and then they changed it to silent night deadly night five the toy maker uh at, on its release and because he'd come out and said how horrible the first film was that they made santa a killer and their marketing campaign and and I, I would be very surprised although would not be shocked of the hypocrisy from mickey rooney to as long as i'm working and someone's paying a paycheck who cares
0: Uh, Being pulled from cinemas is definitely going to pique interest from people anyway. And I don't think it's part of the the actual 72 movies that were labelled video nasties, but it's up there in the same vein as a video nasty, which we had in Australia, and I know it was more prevalent in the UK, where the government just pulled movies from cinemas and video shops. They were literally banned and then burnt copies of it. So that obviously, again, sparks interest for people to want to watch these films. All right.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Never saw this film until just a couple of days ago. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't watch it. In the, I was not a horror fan in the oh. 80s or even the 90s, not even today. <laughs> uh, and so, I, you know, we carried it in the video store uh, Blockbuster when I worked there, but I just never got around to watching it. And I can't say that, you know, as, as much as I've heard about the controversy, nothing about this film really shocked me. It's not a good film. Uh, it's not – it does not have great acting. The storyline is threadbare, although more uh, more realistic, more – I guess more frightening to me is a possibility this could happen as compared to any Friday the 13th after the first two. Uh, it, because, it, I mean, it's just – it. It's not that bad compared to, you know, I've seen Friday the 13th. I've seen all the Friday the 13th, but part eight where he goes to New York and that is worse than this film by far. If, if the the sole issue is because he's dressed as Santa Claus when he kills people, boo hoo. You know, I don't really I guess I, I, I just don't see that as that offensive.
0: Patrick, <laughs> Jason Takes Manhattan isn't not
3: worse than this, yes, in my opinion. Yes, it is. I'll agree with Patrick on that one. Okay. Yeah, I because I remember I was in the third grade when this movie came out. I remember when the ads started popping up on TV and people were freaking out and it was like the talk of our school about kids seeing these ads and I remember one of the girls in my class said something to my third grade teacher about hey, did you see the ad for the killer Santa Claus movie that's coming out? And my third grade teacher, who was the biggest prude on the face of the earth, basically told the entire class, I hope you never, ever see this film as long as you live. It's just absolutely disgusting. Well, I didn't see it right then when it came out, but I will say a few years later, I had to see this movie because of the controversy around it and the imagery from the ads. I just thought the imagery and the, even the trailers, it's just, it's stuck there. It's like, okay, what is the controversy? Is it that bad? Um, and, I, again, I just had to see it and see what it was all about. So when I got to be about 12, 13 years old and started getting into horror movies, I sat up one Christmas Eve and watched this movie. And it was the first time I watched it. And the imagery to me is cool in a way it's definitely old school filmmaking, especially compared to nowadays. But there are some really haunting images about this that I think that they did right in terms of getting their point across about like Patrick just said, this could happen if there is the devious evil people out there trying to pretend to be Santa Claus. And so from that point of view, I don't think it's that bad of a movie because they make movies about everything so why not about a killer santa claus it's it just is what it is
1: i mean this film has something that most other slasher films does not have is essentially an origin story to the mm-hmm. killer that actually makes sense is that i mean not to try to in- imply hidden meaning into this film that doesn't obviously exist because i don't think they gave it that much thought but there's a, you could look at this and say this this was a child who went through something horrific was put through something else horrific by being put a, into basically foster care and adoption agency uh was it continued to be emotionally abused by someone who believed they could force the child into basically uh con- conversion or uh, to comply by making them confront their fears which is against almost every psychological text in the world and, and and pressed child into this such repressed behavior that eventually he was going to explode when he became an adult. And that's what he did with this violence that, you know, his first experience with uh, any kind of identifying sexual act is his mother somewhat being raped and having her throat slashed that he, that he, you know, he sees the equivalent of sexual acts as naughty. I mean, there there's something to that that actually does exist. And it does, you know, there's something to that in this film where Jason drowned and he wants to kill, you know, (laughs) which to me, this makes more sense to me and actually is more frightening. Now, I don't know how the rest of the films go, but Mm -hmm. then any Friday the 13th, any, you know, Halloween. Well, actually, I really like Halloween, but, um, you know, Halloween somewhat already gets that the child's already messed up by the time the film begins. This
3: one actually shows the child being messed up. And I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, to me, that's one of the positive parts of this movie and the way it was created is it is one of the few horror movies that does have that psychological element where the way you see things, the how it affects you in terms of psychology, how it affects you in terms of how you envision the rest of the world. Do you become a good person, a naughty person, all that other good stuff down the road? It's just all a part of it in this film. It, it is not a good movie in the grand scheme of it or in terms of well-made, but I think they did a decent enough job on the budget that they had to get their point across in terms of storyline, transitioning Billy from what he saw on that Christmas Eve, having his grandpa scare the shit out of him, seeing his parents get killed. And then like you said, Patrick, the stuff he had to live with and the orphanage where, he sees the couple having sex and them getting beaten, him getting beaten, him punching Santa Claus in the face on Christmas morning. I mean, all that stuff I could actually see happening. And then when he's a teenager working in the toy store, I can see that transition happening. So I give them credit from that. They At least they didn't throw it all together and try to throw a bunch of piecemeal shit together. They did actually try to make somewhat of a logical film.
2: That was stupid of Sister Margaret to get him a job at a toy store. You know Christmas comes around every year, and that's his uh, his big phobia. So, I mean, maybe she got anything she could get for him, but that was a big miss for her.
3: And how the other nun didn't stop this sooner is what's beyond me. That's the one part of the story I guess I didn't get because she catches on a little bit too late as to what's going on. But you would think every time Christmas rolls around, that she'd be all over him making sure he doesn't see anything even remotely related to Santa Claus.
2: Yeah, There's a lot of um, over-the-top, poorly done stereotypes that do not fit together in this film.
0: There's a lot. And I'll admit it attempts to have a backstory to justify the carnage. I, I agree there. And it's spooky at times, thanks to the cinematography. I think there's some really good images in this which think Chad might have said, or Patrick, but I um, I really didn't like it at all, and I have not seen it since the VHS days, but I was expecting to, and I like splatter movies, and I like, uh, you know, when it comes to horror movies, that, that doesn't bother me if there's too much gore, or it's not justified. It's just the type of movie most slashers are, but I just didn't like this, and I, um, I have to disagree that you guys think it's... It's good at times um, because... Hey,
1: hey, it, no, 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 no. No, no. 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 Yeah,
0: I, go
3: ahead, Patrick.
0: I, just, I didn't say it was good.
1: I said it is not as bad as, you know, the yeah. uh, people came out against it. It is not as controversial. Uh, it is it is a horrible, horrible film. Don't get me wrong. It is not well made. It's done on the cheap. But it has things in its, that are positive about it. I am not a fan of horror films, and therefore I can sit here and say it's as good as... Uh, You know, most or better than most of the Friday the 13th films, it is good as or better than most of like the Nightmare on Elm Street. And I'm talking about the sequels, not the original films um, that that there's that someone gave some thought to this with their intent, what their intent was story wise. I think there's something that gives that distinguishes this film in, in a positive way as compared to all the gentle snowflakes out there who didn't like it in its day because merely because Santa Claus, someone dresses as Santa Claus is a killer. That 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 boils us down to something so simplistic that I think it's idiotic that, you know, oh, Santa Claus was the killer. OK, well. So what? You know, you had a guy dressed in a Halloween mask killing people in Halloween films, and that didn't disturb you that much. And now because he's dressed as Santa Claus and there's a reason why he's dressed as Santa Claus and there's a reason why it triggers him. And that's what I think is the strength of this film. Not an overwhelmingly strong strength, but that it wasn't like we just put a psycho in it who dresses up like Santa Claus and kills people. And we have no idea why other than we wanted to market on the fact that it was Santa Claus as a killer. And that's that. I think they oversimplified the film.
3: Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I'll say that I the imagery to this movie in this movie, I should say, all these years later, and I've probably only seen this about a five or six times, but still, it still ha- is haunting to me. And I think it was well done. I'm disgusted by it watching it. I mean, my. Girlfriend, she loves horror movies as much as I, and she couldn't make it past the the parents getting killed portion of it. I mean, that's how far into it she got, and then I finished it up mainly to see it one last time for this podcast. But where I was, I compared this to some movies I watched the other, uh, during Halloween season. Um, I watched the, uh, now shit, I'm going to forget the, uh, the town that said it that dreaded sundown. I watched the 1970s version, and then I watched the 2013 version. And the 2013 version uses stuff from the 1970s version. And when I'm comparing those two movies in my mind, Mm -hmm. the 70s version to me is far superior because they use imagery that, yes, for a haunted uh, horror film, they have to, but they use it in a manner where it literally can... scare the shit out of you psychologically and it is so well done even though it was on the cheap back then moved to the 2013 version they spend a good amount of money on it but they make it more torture porn as i like to call these movies where everything's flash cut fast paced and it's unbelievable Uh, you just can't even imagine that this type of a horror film would even or the acts in this horror film would exist and especially comparing it to the one made in the 70s. So that's where I think the older horror films like this one, like The Town of the Dreaded Sundown, where the filmmakers worked hard to make the imagery stick with you, that's where I think they did a great job, and I give them props for making the films that they wanted to make and doing a good job of it. Uh, Whether it's sickening or disgusting, I'm not going to sit and judge them on that, but yet... I is for them being filmmakers. I think they did a great job. I'll put it that way.
2: What makes me uh, laugh in a way is the director who's known more for the stuff like Grizzly Adams TV movies at this point um, was so uncomfortable with the gore. He had to have someone else film it for him.
0: Is that right? Yeah. Why would,
2: why would you sign up for maybe he just needed the work, but why would you sign up for a horror film if you can't stand horror.
0: Maybe the gore was uh, pushed further to the limit while they were filming, and he couldn't take it.
3: I think he just wanted the paycheck uh, and didn't realize what he was getting himself into, and then chicken shit it out of it and had somebody who actually wanted to do it do it. Um, and he just went and had his Christmas meal money.
0: Well, I think Tristar Pictures, who released this, even though they pulled it from the theaters a couple of weeks after release, pretty sure they made Santa Claus the movie with Dudley Moore, which is even more of a nightmare than this thing. Thank you.
1: Yes, I would say that's a worse film. than the- <laughs> I, would, I would watch Silent Night, Deadly Night again ob- over Santa Claus the movie anytime. And I hated Santa Claus the movie when I was a kid. I thought that was dumb and stupid. And I watched part of it last year because it came on – some channel around Christmas time and my two small children lost interest in it and said this is really bad <laughs> And that's eight and three
0: <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, it, you know, they can't always get Christmas horror movies, right? You know, th- there's plenty of them out there and but this particular one we're talking about today Is <clears> in <throat> the lexicon it's around it's always talked about
2: Yeah, you know, and it
1: has some of the worst attributes, I think, of most horror films. I mean, there's always as they made fun of and scream if, you know, you if you have sex, you die. And that's not only just, uh, you know, stereotypical approach to how they do the killings in this film. That is a motivating factor for the killer. And um, I, I think that I find more disturbing is the attribute, you know, the that. A lot of the killings have to do with uh, him essentially becoming either misunderstanding or becoming sexually excited by the sexual acts. And it starts with his mother. And you didn't need to do that in this film. You really didn't. You could still have him be a psycho killer um, without having him being triggered by you know sexual arousal or something like that. And, that. and I find that more disturbing than the entire Santa Claus aspect of the film.
3: Now, the one part of this film that I had forgotten about is during the Christmas party. I didn't remember him getting drunk, which I think was part of the thing that triggered his psychological uh, breakdown on that Christmas Eve to start the attacks and everything. I mean, he would stayed pretty straight. He didn't drink anything. He didn't really do anything while working there. But once I got him drunk, it all sort of uh, went downhill from there. So that's one of those vices that they like to put into these movies to help turn the events well
2: i'm under the impression that was the first time he ever drank anything as well true like the that mother superior scared that uh into him out of him i don't know which way it went
3: yeah but yeah that was the one aspect i forgotten about and it sort of makes sense if he would have maybe just left uh that night would have things been different it's one of those things you like to think about when you think about these type of movies
2: well also with mr sims telling him that it was okay it's now uh santa now has to do what he's supposed to do on christmas eve it's that time i mean yeah that's giving him permission to do what he uh what he grew up knowing and he was playing santa so that was his boss telling him to play santa at that time of night
0: yeah i would say he hasn't had a drink before and that's all he knew because it was the same continuing thing each year. So it was all happening again.
2: All of this trouble for 31 bucks at a convenience store on <laughs> Christmas Eve in 1971. Yeah. It's just not worth it. It's not worth that initial
3: theft. You know, I was sitting there, I always watch these movies from the 80s and try to think, do I recognize anybody? Where did, where did any of these people come from? Uh, did they do other work that I recognized? And the store owner, I'd seen him before, and I couldn't put my finger on it, and then it dawned on me that he was Anthony Michael Hall's dad in Weird Science. Um, he popped up in that movie for a few
0: He was, too, yeah.
3: Yep. And then the only other person I recognized was the boyfriend who was trying to have sex on the pool table. He showed up in Footloose as one of the drug-dealing bad guys tried to sell pot to kevin bacon in his class room and then i think he showed up in a couple other movies like uh no way out he had a brief scene or two um but other than that i recognized nobody from this film and i thought the kid who played billy at 18 did a decent job of playing a wacko psycho so uh he never really did anything past this because i don't think he wanted to be Living with the uh, reputation of playing the killer Santa forever, so. Uh, but I thought he did a decent job. I'll, I pr- give him props for how he handled the film.
1: So what you're saying, Chad, is the Blacklist was alive and well in the 1980s, huh?
3: Amen, brother. Amen.
0: <laughs> well, Lania Quigley, I think that's how you say her name. She was in this, and yeah, she's been around.
3: Mother Superior?
0: No, no. Yeah. She had a small role in this not mother superior
3: and I recognized to, her, but I couldn't figure out where I recognized her from at all. Oh, I
0: always know her from the return of the living dead, but she has, ah. she's, she's been in so many different horror and um, genre films. Well, um, I've got, I just thought I'd mention, I've got a, I had for the podcast. I bought a like a special edition DVD of this from arrow arrow entertainment, which includes like a big people who like this movie, look it up because there's a big poster that you get in it and some extra features so if you do like silent night deadly night arrow releasing have put out a pretty decent
3: version of it you didn't get the version with the 12 inch statue of billy with the axe in his hand did you
0: no i didn't
3: (laughs) oh man i would have had you send that to me
1: you know the only other thing that i noticed is i was Mother Superior the only female character in the entire film who didn't have to show her breasts at some point in time?
3: <laughs>
1: that, that wasn't
2: Sister Margaret, was it, that
1: showed her breasts? It, it, in it, I don't know. I was wondering that myself. Was that I couldn't tell. I didn't think this, it was. That, you know, he sees Sister Margaret or he sees someone through the keyhole who's having sex and... Uh, mother superior catches him. because anyway, I, I was gonna I was wondering that too because I got the I got the impression it was sister
3: Margaret but I obviously could be very very wrong about that you got me on that one I've never heard even that being a theory I just thought it was two of the teenage uh students or orphans that lived there
0: hmm. <laughs> I like that theory it makes it more interesting
3: yes it does
0: I don't know if you guys have seen the sequels, but in part three, <laughs> uh, they end up being like Santa Claus is the victim. He's not the killer. He's actually the victim. Yes. So they sort of they spin it out of control by the time it gets to five, which I don't think I've ever seen the Mickey Ro- Rooney one. But uh, yeah, it's it's. Don't think they're actually even related to the original film by the time they get to five.
1: No, the, they, the the thread of the younger brother becoming the killer ends, I think, with three, and then four and five of their own things, although uh, Clint Howard is in four and also appears in five, but it's a small part, and he's never referenced as the previous character.
3: <laughs> so you're saying they went Halloween three season of The Witch once yeah. they got to episode four of this one? Okay.
1: They saw that trucks of money that came from doing that in the Halloween (laughs) franchise and said, let's do that with ours.
2: (laughs) Hey, for one week, this outgrossed Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, it did.
1: Yeah, because it had a Christmas theme and it was Christmas time or leading up to Christmas time. Nightmare on Elm Street should have been released about a month before.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but was was Nightmare on Elm Street an actual hit on release? Wasn't it one of those movies that found life on
1: uh, VHS it it did pretty well in the theaters i remember okay. people talking about it at least in the us it, it, i remember people talking about it and when it came out on video i think the the word of mouth caught up with the film because i think the film came out coming out at the beginning of november you're about to hit the christmas months where there's you know people aren't going out and looking for horror films they're they're look, they're not looking for they're looking for box office and back in 1984 uh, you know kind of academy award uh, season you're getting a lot of uh, those films that are trying to be released for that. So I don't know why uh, Well, God who was it wasn't TriStar star guys new line new line released it You know second week in November instead of releasing it the second week of October Leading up to Halloween other than yeah. a, it must have been a ton of hol- you know, like horror films being released in October that year
2: all right, well, let's go around the table here. Does this film stand the test of time? Patrick, you've already kind of telegraphed it for all of us, I think, but we'll start with you.
1: Okay. Uh, does it stand the test of time? No, it was bad back then. It's bad now. It's not a good, it's not a good film, but I don't think it's, as, it's not controversial, as controversial as it was in its day. I think they made much ado about nothing. Um, it's the, I, I don't find it offensive. I I think it's a horrible, horrible film, poorly acted, poorly written. Uh, It has threads of something that at least make it somewhat interesting for one viewing uh, to the idea of that the origin story of why the killer does what he does, which most horror films, especially in the 80s, did not have. You just had a killer killing people. And uh, and, you know, for anybody who liked anything past like the second Friday, the 13th movie. Uh, you should like this. There's no reason not to. I mean, it, it's got a more uh, connected storyline. And once again, this killer, when he's killed at the end of this film, dies. He's done. He doesn't come back for a sequel. He's done. He's he's n- And that's at least, I at least appreciate that, that, that they didn't try to make him miraculously survive, and then he comes back and s- starts killing in two and three and four and five. And so <laughs> there's the the real world implications is i think this story is probably more horrific than any and more frightening than any other nightmare on elm street friday the 13th halloween sleepaway camp uh trick or treat whatever you want to pick out from the 80s than any of those because there's a sense of realism to this that this could happen and and that's that is at least frightening in itself is it worth repeat viewing no Did anyone is anyone who if you like 80s horror films this is probably going to be a good one for you. If you don't like 80s war- horror films, save your energy and save your money. Don't, don't watch it.
0: So when you say it could happen, do you mean like someone could get in a, in a Santa suit and just, you know, be bad?
1: Well, there's more realism to this film than any Friday, the 13th film, you know, no, plausible. It's more plausible is, you know, okay. the, the fact that the, Oh, we stabbed him, shot him, hit him with a truck, you know, back to the, the tractor into him and yet he still kept coming and he came back to the next film and it doesn't matter what you do. And his face is actually rotting and all that. I mean, there's, he's a mythical creature, you know, at least Jason Voorhees or, you know, Freddie literally is somewhat of a mythical creature and and to a large extent, Michael Myers as well. And this, this, this is a real person who has real trauma and he responds as people potentially could to that trauma and starts acting out aggressively. And at the end of the film, when he shot, gets shot, he dies. <laughs> there is no last minute lurch. There's, you know, he's not, you know, he's not killing the, the, the um, ambulance driver on the way to the morgue. And, you know, running loose again. It just has an ending to it. So that's why, I mean, it's more plausible. And that's why I find it more frightening than any of those other horror films.
0: Yeah, we needed like a, a killer Mrs. Claus or some psycho elves to come in before the end credits.
2: Don't don't give them any ideas, Shane. No, <laughs> no.
3: See, Shane, now you're trying to ruin it. You're trying to ruin it.
2: <laughs> All right, Shane. Did this stand the test of time for you?
3: Nah, no. I,
0: I didn't like this movie because I had no memory of it when I first saw it, and I didn't like it watching it again.
2: Did uh, you make a note of it in your book?
0: Uh, no, because it wasn't cinema released down under. It was a VHS uh, release here. It did not come out in the cinemas, as far as I know, and I did try and research that, but there was no release date for Australia. So I'm assuming, and I remember the cover distinctly. It was in a big clamshell with the Santa Claus with the axe over his shoulder from memory. Uh, And it, it rented a fair bit, but it also had a big video nasty sticker on it, which we had down under, so they were restricted and people had to show ID and all that before they could hire it out.
2: Just um, I don't like here.
0: it, and I do understand the storyline. They do try and make it better than your usual slasher movie storyline, which we have covered. The psycho, sexual, undercurrent—it's definitely unsettling, and it should be because it's an exploitation splatter film. The violent content, though, I didn't—I just don't know. Maybe I'm immune to it, but it did nothing for me. And I just, other than the cinematography and the the, the notorious background this movie has, I can't, it's just not memorable to me.
2: Yeah, this film doesn't stand the test of time for me either. I probably would have hated it if I would have seen it back in the day. Uh, like Patrick, um, this was my first time I ever saw it. This is probably going to be my last time I have ever watch it. Uh, most movies, I'll give them a second or third viewing just to make sure my initial reaction. Uh, was correct or wrong and let a movie grow on me. But this one, this one makes Ernest saves Christmas look good. And that's not, that's not great. Um, But
0: different re and and for different reasons, bad Santa, which came out in the early two thousands was just as controversial, but just for different reasons. And that again was because of the Santa Claus, you know, icon being displayed in a, in a bad manner. So it's, Yeah, I can see why it caused so much controversy, but it just didn't do any impact on me. Sorry to cut you off, Chad.
3: Oh, no problem, no problem. Yeah, I will be the guy who goes against the grain here. I think because I probably saw this four or five times when I was a teenager, and then just watched it here all these years later for this podcast, I compared then to now how I felt about this movie like I said, the imagery that I saw when I was a kid and now today as an adult, to me, this one does indeed stand the test of time when I start doing the comparison because it's it's still one of the more frightening movies, in my opinion, from you the way you look at things. The, the way the storyline is put together, even though it's not the greatest story in the world, um, the acting, granted, is not all that good, but once you take a step back and you just look in the, how it makes you feel how the artist created the image of that ax with the blood coming off of it, um, for a split second or two, how they did the, uh, shadow of the girl getting killed on the elk or deer or whatever it was. Um, the image of the kid getting decapitated. Um, I just think they did a great job in those, If their point of view was to try to scare the shit out of you with a Santa Claus, uh, then they succeeded. They scared the shit out of me then, and they scared the shit out of me now. And it's just one of those things that, hey, they did a decent job of putting a storyline in there, like Patrick was talking about earlier. They give the kid a backstory to make him more human, and then to have his trauma come back to bite people in the ass in the end. And then I agree the best part of it is the fact that he dies like a human would die in the end. And if they would have just left this movie as a standalone movie, I think it would have been a lot better off in terms of its legend, if you will. Uh, But, yeah, I still think it stands the test of time when I compare it to the past. So I'll be the one naysayer here.
2: Alright, well that does it for our review of Silent Night, Deadly Night. Please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section on our website and rate it from 1 to 5 stars on that page as well. If you have any review requests for movies from the 80s, please send us an email at comments@moviehousememories.com with your name and pick. And finally, if you are of the social media persuasion, you can find us on Twitter at Lunchtime Movie or Instagram at mhm podcast network. Well, that's it for today. Until next time, I'm Chris. I'm Chad. I'm Patrick. And I'm Shane. And we've got to get out of here, and you guys are invited. This podcast is not endorsed by Shout Factory and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Silent Night, Deadly Night. All names and sounds of Silent Night, Deadly Night characters and any other Silent Night, Deadly Night related items are registered trademarks and are copyrights of Shout Factory or the respective trademark and are copyright holders. The theme music for Lunchtime Movie Review fireworks is provided courtesy of alexander Nakarada at serpentsoundstudios.com under a creative commons attribution 4.0 license all original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of lunchtime movie review the mhm podcast network and fuzzy bunny slippers entertainment llc unless otherwise noted